Wow. I know, right? How rude. I'm a terrible husband. Just a terrible husband. Yeah. Uh, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to Gritty Reboot. This is episode number 10. Woo! We made it to 10 episodes. The 10th episode spectacular. <laughs> I know that's probably not a big big uh, ordeal to some of you folks, but to us, that is a big deal. Yeah, it, it took a lot of work to get here. Um, we're pretty pleased that we actually did get to this point, so... I know I've read somewhere when we started this that most podcasts don't get past the eighth episode. So I said we'd do something when we get to ten. Yeah. So we are uh, jettisoning, jettisoning, we are throwing out <laughs> <laughs> off to a bad start. The tenth episode, our last. We are going to jettison our former uh, format of talking about gritty reboots. And we're going to talk about one of my other favorite parts of Hollywood which is when they make a copycat film within the same year. Yeah. Um, this was done with um, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone, famously, uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano, and what we're going to be talking about today, Armageddon and Deep Impact. Yeah, we're going to get crazy. So these two movies came to us in 1998, which was, as far as I know, the greatest year in human history. <laughs> Uh, no, so 1998 was an interesting year uh, for movies. I do want to lead into a couple of things, and the one thing I want to talk about is James Cameron, who has nothing to do with these two movies, but he made a little film in 1997 called Titanic, uh-huh. and Titanic was- uh, I believe um, I've heard of it. Yes, it was um, the highest grossing movie ever made at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Titanic made a bunch, of moon, a bunch of money in 97 and continued to make that in 98. So depending on what list you look at, Titanic is technically the top grossing film of 1998, but most people don't include it uh, because it was from the previous year. So if you don't include that, then Armageddon was the number one film of the year. But since I actually keep box office records of the movies that made money in that year, Armageddon was not as successful as Titanic, obviously. But one of the things that it gave us was the importance of a tie-in song with your movie, which is shoved down our throats entirely throughout the runtime of Armageddon. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's a running joke between us. Yeah, it really is. Steven Tyler wrote the schmaltziest piece of crap for that movie, uh, I don't want to miss a thing. Yes. I'm, I know you've heard it. You can't really escape it if you lived during that time period. Miss a thing. <laughs> we both can't see. <laughs> yeah, we can. No, no, none of us can. <laughs> this, is, this is why we do a podcast. We didn't start a band. Listen, Aerosmith, I have issues with, but this is probably one of the worst songs that they did. And this only exists because C- Celine Dion, or if I was Canadian, Celine Dion. <laughs> Um, I like, like, uh, my buddy Zanny, whenever I hear him talk, he goes, Celine Dion. And I'm like, oh, dude, I love the way you pronounce it with such gravitas. I like it. When here it's like Celine Dion. Nowhere near as fun. Yeah. yeah nowhere near as fun. Um, even though the name Dion is fun. Anyway, th- th- we're not going to talk about Celine Dion anymore. <laughs> um, but because she had the big song, now we had to get Steven Tyler with the same thing. And this song did make a lot of money. It was number one on the charts for a long time. It was everywhere the summer of 98. And it's like a, a lot like the movie, really. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a schmaltzy piece of crap song. Now, listen, I am an Aerosmith fan. You are. You like Aerosmith. I love Aerosmith, but I do not like that song. Yeah, th- this. If you're an Aerosmith fan, this isn't necessarily why you no why you listen no. to Aerosmith. Yeah, this is not rich. This is a long way from like love an elevator and dude looks like a lady. Sweet emotion. Yeah, it really. This is this is not really what they were known for was big power ballads, really. But they did one anyway, and it was here, and we had to live through it. So do you. That's really the the main takeaway from this uh, soundtrack on, on Armageddon. So I'll, I'll let you decide which of these movies you want to talk about first. I know we talked about. I had to get the song out of the way because it was the <laughs> it was hanging over both of us. And I'm sure the song is still playing in our heads. I was on a constant loop during this whole show. I say we roll with Deep Impact. Let's just get the more boring of the two movies out of the way. Mr. Rittenhouse, Jenny Lerner, MSNBC. If we could just talk about Ellie. He had a private phone line installed in his office. Turn your camera off. I think the president knows about it, too. Okay, Secretary of the Treasury resigns because of a mistress named Ellie. Okay, okay! It's good that you picked Deep Impact to do first, because that actually came out um, earlier than Deep Impact did. I think that came out in May, the first big movie of the summer. Okay. 
So um, Deep Impact had, what's our cast here? We have a pretty big one. That's the one thing about both of these movies. They're both big ensemble features. Oh my God, they're full of everybody. We would be here forever if we listed them all. (laughs) So our main players are uh, Taya Leone, who I guess is the lead of the movie. How about we do this? Okay. There are four Oscar winners in this movie. Mm -hmm. Can you name all four? Can I name all four? Um, Duvall? Yep. Um, let's see, who else? These are real ums in here, guys. I have to think about it. Obviously, Morgan Freeman. Yep. The last two are going to be harder. Tom Green? <laughs> it's not Tom Green. It's not Tom Green. Okay. Hold on. I, there's one more sec. I'm, I, I'm trying to think of who else is in this movie who could have gotten an Oscar nomination that I don't remember or won an Oscar. Um, I, Mimi Leader didn't win one for directing anything. She didn't get one for the Peacemaker. Boy, I, I don't know the other two. I feel bad because there might be one of them I, I, I can't think of at the moment. Vanessa Redgraves. Oh, Vanessa Redgrave is in this. I forgot. And yeah. Maximilian Schill. Who the hell is that? I have no idea. I was hoping that you would. <laughs> is, that, is that who plays Tay Leone's father? Maybe. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, I didn't carefully look over the cast list. There's a ton of people in this movie. I was almost mad for a second. I was like, wait, did Elijah Wood win one for... And one nominee. Who I'm shocked that... It hasn't won an Oscar. He's all, he's just great. You know who it is? No. James Cromwell. Oh, that's, that's right. Cromwell's in there. Oscar. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He should have got one for Babe. <laughs> he should have got one for a million things. <laughs> yeah, he really should have. He really should have. I can't believe that James Cromwell hasn't won an, uh, an Oscar or anything. I, I, I just got him nominated. I mean, he's done tons of things that are awesome. Yeah, I know. He was in Species 2. Okay, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not that. He was in Babe, Pig in the City. He was Babe. Yeah, he was in both those movies. By the way, everyone should go see Babe if you haven't seen it. Uh, great movie. George Miller. Um, he brought us Mad Max and he got us a talking pig. <laughs> <laughs> he's an eclectic guy, that's all I'll say. But back to Mimi Leader's film. So I guess I'll get my criticism out right now of Deep Impact is that it's long, dull, and boring. The, the biggest sin this movie makes is hiring Taya Leone. And I don't mean to be really mean or like rude to Taya Leone, but she stinks in this movie. Yeah, she's really bad. Yeah, she's, com- she's like the focal point of the movie. She's completely unengaging in the entirety of the runtime of Deep Impact. Her storyline bores me to tears, and I understand that there is a little bit there, and I, I mean, I get what it's trying to do, but nothing in her story has any meat to it that you want to sink your teeth into, and that's the worst part about it, is it just goes on and on and on. Like, there's, I mean, she has a couple moments near the end of the movie where she lets, like, her old boss take her spot on the ship so she can get to sanctuary whatever it's called and i mean that's like the big emotional moment but we really don't know that other character's daughter or anything like that Mm -hmm. we barely had any lead into that so it's not incredibly important it's just something that occurs in the movie she has her storyline with her parents but that's ultimately unsatisfying her mother kills herself about halfway through the movie and she has uh she makes up with her father a little bit but there isn't a scene in that where I was like, oh, what a great heartwarming scene. Or like, oh, I'm glad that paid off and, and went into something. Yeah, and I love who plays her mother, too. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there's good acting all around. And I, I think Taya Leone is a capable actress, but this wasn't the part for her. In 1998, I don't know who else could have played it or, or taken it on and done That's a better job. I was going to ask you. Who do you think would be better? Yeah, I was trying to think. I, I, th- I thought about Reese Witherspoon, but I think Reese Witherspoon is like 17. <laughs> so she's too young for this part. You know, like Jennifer Connelly could have knocked a part like this out of the park easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Taya Leone, she just really struggles. It, it's not the best written part, but it's not like this is a poorly written film. I want to say that right off the bat, because this movie has a few things going for it. And two of those things are Morgan Freeman and Robert Duvall, our pair of Oscar mm-hmm. winners. First of all, Martin, uh, Martin Freeman, wrong, wrong Freeman. Uh, I was going Hobbit there. Morgan Freeman... <laughs> His initial speech where he introduces the American public to the incoming threat of the comet is really well done. Incredibly well done. It's a great, like, ten minutes of cinema, that whole sequence, where Taylor Leone gets her seat, and she gets the first question, but he comes out with all the information that she would want to know 
about the 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 ELE <laughs> Ellie, which is which is an amusing bit to get into the movie that our our lead character thinks its whole thing is about a presidential affair yeah. when it's really the end of the world. An amusing bit about a reporter. I like that whole scene where he tells everybody what's going on. It's so well done, and Morgan Freeman does an incredible job. Like you watch it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, we we will persevere. We will make it, you know. And it's Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that that really adds a lot to it. Well, we can see from our other film, like, the president makes a similar speech, but it's so non-important in that movie, and it's just an afterthought. By the way, if you notice in Armageddon, that president's a carryover from uh, The Rock, I think. Yeah. Which the idea of a Michael Bay cinematic universe frightens me deep down to my core. Well, I think Michael Bay likes to use the same actors. Yeah, I think he does too. He likes to reuse actors. Yeah, yeah, he does. And there's nothing wrong with that. But like that scene's incredibly well done in Deep Impact. And of course, every time Morgan Freeman talked, I always thought of the the parody from Chappelle show from years ago. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, he's like, I also want to let you know that uh, we got the cure for AIDS. We got it from the aliens. Uh, I'm going to need an extra pair. And that, that's the one thing I love about that. He implies the president has AIDS. <laughs> it was such a, a great bit. And it stuck with me for years. And I, I see that every time I, I watch Deep Impact. I guess, I, you know, in my 30s, I thought I could watch Deep Impact and have a much better appreciation for it because it's a much more mature story. It's a much more, re- a somewhat more realistic story. It's serious as a heart attack. It is a very serious film. And, you know, watching it, I just was completely unengaged, you know, from the very beginning because you have the Tay Leone storyline and I, I don't particularly care for it. You know, the acting's fine. The acting's really good in it, but it just doesn't come together, especially with Leone's shaky performance. And then your other storyline involves Elijah Wood and one of my favorite names ever for an actor, Lily Sobieski. Um, should have got a bigger, uh, should have been a bigger star. Didn't happen for her, sadly. Yeah, um, I can't stand this side story here we have here with those two. I, it's it's not even needed in the movie. It's teen melodrama. Just get rid of it. It's teen melodrama. That's all. It in is. fact. Um, the scenes with Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski were drastically cut down due to poor reception. I can imagine a test audience was like, we fucking hate this. Yeah. Um, and you know what? From that storyline really feels that way because things develop super quickly late in the second act and third act. And it does feel like, boy, something missing here. And that makes a lot of sense uh, looking at it and knowing that quite a bit was cut out. I, I mean, uh, t- to be fair... When this movie came out, I do believe I was a teenager and I didn't find the storyline particularly engaging. I, I chuckled at the one joke about you're going to have a lot more sex now, you know, because I was 13 or 12 when this came out. So that's the kind of thing that I found amusing. But the rest of this film was a total bore to me back then. And, you know, almost 20 years, 20 plus years later, it was about the same because I honestly don't think I've really sat down to watch Deep Impact all the way through. Since I saw it in theaters, probably May 8th or 9th in 1998. I honestly do believe that. Um, And I I was a bit shocked, like I said, that I I didn't enjoy any element of of the movie more. The actual facts on this movie are a lot more interesting than the actual movie. All right, what do you got for me? So in the beginning of the movie, you have the the guy who discovers the comet and he gets in a car accident. Mm -hmm. Well, that is actually based on a real event. Oh, really? Yes. There was a comet that struck Jupiter in 1994. The the, the finder, I guess, of the comet was uh, Shoemaker. His last name was Shoemaker. And he was uh, basically killed in a car accident Mm -hmm. after discovering the the Shoemaker-Levy 9 comet. Oh, okay. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting, yeah. And and that, that is how the movie opens up. But I guess one of the things about comparing and contrasting these two films, they both have a scene where... Someone discovers the comet, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, In Deep Impact, it is, I think, a pretty realistic scene about a scientist sloppily eating a pizza. Yeah. The only reason I mention is because sound mixing uh, was very good in the 90s, and you can hear every chomp of that pizza that he's throwing into there until he discovers the comet. I don't think that scientist was really necessarily thinking that anything was going to be out of the ordinary for his night. Sure, sure. And I like that element of just like this, oh my God, this important life-changing event just occurred and he's driving out there. And it's an accident, not even really his fault that gets him killed and gets his name on the comet. It's, you know, I I think that's really good. And that ties into the entire Elijah Wood storyline because that's how he figures in. He's technically the kid who looked up and saw something in the sky to relay back to him. Yeah. And that's his involvement here. 
The Biederman comment. Yeah, exactly. So this storyline uh, starts from there and, and really doesn't uh, amount to a whole lot. So you get a huge explosion in the beginning of the movie. That is true. That is true. So. We get an explosion, but we will get a lot more of that later on. <laughs> so these movies leave us in a complicated spot narratively, because if you fail, the world ends and there's no more characters left. Yeah. So if you're going to get big time, like effect sequences, like we all expect, you have to kind of write your way around that. And this movie does it by the actual... Well, I guess let's talk about the, the other main storyline before we get into that. The other storyline is basically what you would expect from this kind of movie. The astronauts attempting to stop the asteroid or the, or the meteor or the comet. Um, so we have a team of uh, more realistic astronauts than what we have in our other movie. Uh, Robert Duvall is the veteran who is a holdover from the Apollo missions. He landed on the moon. Um, and then you have another, a few actors are recognizable. Uh, Ron Eldred um, is one of the other astronauts who gets blinded. John Favreau. John Favreau's in there. He gets jettisoned into space. God, I love that word jettisoned today. Yeah, I know. I don't know what's up with that. Did I, maybe it was a word of the day thing. I didn't realize. I, I'm trying to think of who else is in the, in the, was Morse Chestnut in there? No, we don't have the Chestnut in there. I forget who the, one of the other um, astronauts are. It's not important. Uh, there is a, a good cast there. And that is the most engaging part of the movie. Uh, by a long shot, because th- what they're doing matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what they're doing matters. You know, no, no offense to Tay Leone, how the press covers. And listen, you can make a great movie about how the press would cover the end of the world. Um, I Honestly, somebody did that later on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't Look Up really covers that quite nicely. And you didn't have to be a satire, but you can certainly look at what life was going to be like here on the planet and, and do interesting things with impending doom coming at you. And this movie really isn't interested in that. So that's why as a viewer, you sort of latch on to that astronaut plot line, because that's the only one where something matters. You know, they're going up there and they have a very similar idea. They're going to uh, put a nuke and drill it into the asteroid and blow it up that way. Um, Fun fact, this entire plan. It's actually not an asteroid. It's a comet. It's a comet. Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, I know. These are interchangeable to me. (laughs) Um, So, and by the way, this, as far as I can understand from what scientists say, uh, drilling into a comet and putting a nuclear bomb in there would do uh, jack and shit. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't do anything. But both movies really depend on that. This movie has uh, the scientist with a nuclear bomb. That has like a little drill head on the top of it that slowly glides its way into the comet. It's um, not the best looking uh, effect in the world, to be honest, uh, especially since the entire other film is based upon drilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes it look a, a little bit silly here. But as I said, th- this film is, is a bit more serious, uh, not necessarily super realistic, but more realistic than what we have in Armageddon. The mission is a failure from them, and it ends up in a self-sacrifice. Spoiler for a movie from 1998. Um, So what they do matters, and they actually deliver on a sacrifice, which I think is pretty interesting. I I like that element of the movie. Yeah, um, talking about a little funny trivia here with, with the suits, the astronaut suits. They were so uncomfortable. Oh, really? They were massively uncomfortable. John Favreau famously talked about the suits. Um, they basically had to be, if they wanted, let's just say they needed some time in between takes. They hung them, hung the people on mm-hmm. a rack and wheeled them outside. <laughs> that might be the worst way I've ever heard of to try to, to, to take five or, or get to the crap service table. That's rough. That really is. Can you imagine a, tw- a, a studio tour bus coming by and seeing just John Favreau yeah. on a rack? You, you, yeah, you see the, the future director of <laughs> Iron Man and the lead of Blind Justice just slowly coming out of the soundstage somewhere at the DreamWorks yeah. studio. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I, I thought their entire mission and, and when they do the actual drilling, I thought that was interesting and engaging. And that's one of the moments when the writing and everything sort of comes together. Yeah. You have Taya Leone back on Earth. Giving us a recap, which is ultimately unimportant, and then you get to see Elijah Wood's family react to it. I think at one point I told you, and maybe like 30, 40 minutes in the movie, I said, this almost kind of feels like a, a Robert Altman movie, where you have all these multiple characters running around, and their lives are coming together for just this you know, one event or one day. It reminded me of like Nashville, or uh, for a modern equivalent, something like uh, Magnolia, or even you know, Boogie Nights, a movie with a ton of characters. 
And really, the second I said that, the movie was like, no, we're not doing that at all. We just have three main characters, Tay Leone, Robert Duvall, and Elijah Wood. Mm -hmm. And I suppose Morgan Freeman's just kind of hanging out in the background. But Morgan Freeman, after his scene where he really tells the public everything, he's unimportant. He doesn't really play into the narrative really at all anymore. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, you know, he's just there for that. And then that, that was about it, really. So, you know, within these three storylines, it's tough to recommend a movie that, that only has one good storyline and one I maybe find tolerable and the other one just bores me to tears. That teen storyline is like nails on a chalkboard. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, it really is. Like, they're just like, you know, they're like, I, I don't want to go and like, I'll follow you wherever. It's like, the world's going to end. Fucking follow him into the goddamn and cave. the parents let him go. Yeah, the parents let him go to go save Lily Sobieski. Who was she going to just wait in her family's just going to wait in the house for him to come back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets lucky to find her. And then, of course, he can magically, he has a bicycle, he has a a motorcycle. So he's magically able to get away from the giant oncoming wave that kills everyone else that we know of that's there, except for like a few people that outrun it and an effect sequence that looks a little bit silly and the effects are dated. I I don't want to criticize old effects like that. But I can remember in 98 not being enamored with how the movie looked. Yeah. It just wasn't the highest quality of effects, even though they're okay. The destruction of New York, that's great. I think that works really well. Yeah. Like, those are nice effects. And they still look pretty nice today for the most part. Uh, Nothing really egregious there. You know, that sequence, you know, is pretty nice until you get, you know, you throw Elijah Wood on, it doesn't work. Even Tay Leone's story sums up pretty nicely, you know, comes together uh, nicely, pardon me. You know, she hugs her father one last time. They share a nice little moment. The actor who played her father did a really nice job. I hope he's not the other Oscar winner that I don't know. Maximilian Schell. Maximilian Schell. He seems like a Maximilian kind of guy. <laughs> if I was going to guess anybody in this production's name was Maximilian, it's going to be him, okay? Uh, he looks kind of exotic to me. Exotic? Yeah. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. He looked exotic. Yeah, like Greek or something. Yeah, I, I, I do think he was Greek. Um, I don't know if Maximilian's a common Greek name. Um, his name isn't like, you know, Giro McCollum or something like that. So I don't, I don't know what, what a common Greek, wow. our one Greek listener you just, just unsubscribed. Yeah. All of our Greek listeners. Yeah. I'm sorry, Rafa. Uh, <laughs> so Deep Impact isn't worth watching all these years later, I guess is the long and the short of it. Yeah. Out of the two movies, I prefer to watch Armageddon and I don't like Armageddon. So that's saying. Yeah. Well. There's too much melodrama in this movie. And it doesn't really amount to anything. It's a real shame because you can see the bones, the skeleton of a much stronger movie where this could have come together with some real meat storylines you could have get into. But there's almost no tension in the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when the astronaut storyline is done, they're like, let's go home. <laughs> like, there's, there's no real tension in that. And I remember when they were trying to get home, I was like, you will be aware you won't beat the comet, right? Like, <laughs> when you get there, there'll be nothing. Yeah. It's an anomaly. That's the movie's only spot that it has is that another similar film came out in the same time span and that movie is far more popular. Yeah. And better. And better. Yeah. You know, either or, you know, it's whatever. (laughs) It's not exactly the, uh, uh, you know, high praise to say Armageddon is better than deep impact. My last fun fact for uh, deep impact is that Morgan Freeman, obviously the president, he wanted to wear, he went to the director and said he wanted to wear an earring. Mm hmm. As you know, you know, most he does wear he does wear an earring. So yeah, most presidents don't. I don't think he does. He does. He does. He does. Wear yeah, he does wear an earring. I can see the picture of him now wearing it. Yeah, because the director didn't want him to in the in the initially. Yeah. In fact, he um he he tried to another little trick where when he's in the Oval Office and he's doing that speech and he crosses his arms, he actually rolled up his sleeves to show a little bit of his tattoo because he wanted the character to seem like an everyman. Yeah, and I think that that does come across. He does a nice job with that. The movie should have added more Morgan Freeman sequences in it, and it probably would have been a stronger picture. Yeah. Uh, that, that would have helped a lot. So I, I guess if anyone is listening at, at this point, one of the questions you might have with yourself is, how do two movies with a similar plot come out in the same year? You know, coincidence, sure, but it surely just can't be coincidence. And uh, this is not. Uh, DreamWorks was a young, fledgling studio, but it was started by uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, another individual whose name I can't remember right now. Um, But the reason I'm talking about him is, well, you all know Steven Spielberg, but I want to talk about Jeffrey Katzenberg. Jeffrey Katzenberg was the former head of Disney. And as the former head of Disney, there's one thing that he would have known. It's the slate of upcoming movies that were going to be produced. 
And I'm sure when he left Disney, one of the things he saw in the far distance was Asteroid Movie with Michael Bay, whatever it was going to be called. So the second he gets to DreamWorks, he starts putting competing films into production with the whole goal of trying to steal another movie's thunder, beat them to the punch, and take the box office. And this is one of those films. So that's how we got Deep Impact, basically. is because he knew Armageddon was coming and Disney was putting a lot of money behind Michael Bay and uh, Armageddon. Yeah, I, I can tell you what the budget was for Armageddon. It's a ridiculous amount. It was a $140 million budget. That's a lot for 98. It's the biggest, largest budget ever at that time. Life is short. I love you. Love is forever. Will you marry me? Gracie grew up to become a full-blown hottie. You're talking about my little girl, all right? But you never know what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I can imagine. I can imagine. And when Armageddon came out, uh, most people don't realize this. uh, I think Deep Impact opened with around $41 million, and it was the bigger opening of the two. Uh, Now, Armageddon did make more money, and it was a big deal at the time when Armageddon came out because it had the July 4th weekend, and it just did like $38 million. I I have to check. I'm not sure. It did less than Deep Impact. And people were expecting a $50, $60 million kind of opening weekend, like what you got at Independence Day a few years earlier. That's what they expected. It's not what they got. And it was a big deal because this was a disappointing summer. You had Deep Impact, which, you know, opened things up and didn't do quite as well as people might have thought. And then the big movie was Godzilla. That was supposed to dominate the summer. And we all know how that turned out. People yeah. hate Godzilla. And one day we'll cover it, but not today. And, you know, that we people hated that movie. It became a joke instantly. And it didn't make the money people thought it was going to make. So here we are on July 4th. Armageddon is the last chance to clear the benchmark of a $300 million domestic movie. And I think it only makes like $205, $210 million. Doesn't get there. Now, that doesn't matter for Disney because Armageddon becomes a big hit overseas. But it was a big deal that there wasn't a movie that made $300 million in the summer. It was, you know, people thought the the summer box office is going to keep going up forever and ever and ever and ever. And it was a rough, you know, punch in the face when Armageddon didn't open up well. And... Now, out of the gate, Armageddon had poor reviews, to say the least. I went and saw Armageddon uh, the day it came out. And uh, fun fact, another reason for possible low uh, opening weekend, July 4th was on a Saturday. And every time July 4th is on a Saturday, those July 4th movies tend to do a little bit worse. Huh. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what, what Will I Smith... why. Yeah, I, don't, I guess people are out partying or at a barbecue on that Saturday so they don't go see a movie. Mm. Yeah, they get their more box office numbers. Yeah, yeah. After a certain period. They love it when it's a Thursday because people are just off and like, well, let's go see the new big movie this out. Let's go see Independence Day or or Men in Black. You know, those are are two big back-to-back movies that did fantastic on that July 4th weekend. So this was a bit of a bummer for them. Once again, the movie did fantastic internationally, so it did make its money. But Armageddon was a bit rough out of the gate. I saw the movie when it came out. Uh, I was excited for it due to having seen Aerosmith's music video probably a thousand times leading up to it that summer. There was a ton of advertising, you know, market saturation, and, and you booked the theaters, you know. It wasn't every, you know, at least there were five theaters in every Metroplex playing that. So there was no way you were going to avoid it. I didn't like Armageddon when I first saw it. I didn't hate it, but I, di- I didn't like it. And I, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't particularly care for it. I, I guess I wanted something more, because let, let me tell you right now, Michael Bay is one of the best directors to ever grace Hollywood with his talents. That's right. You heard me. Michael Bay is a great director. I think my husband's lost his mind. But he has an absolutely fatal flaw, and it's deadly to him. Michael Bay is just sexually attracted to bad scripts. It doesn't matter where they come to him from or how they find his way to him. If he sees a script with a nonsensical third act, oh, he's in love. If he sees a movie that has characters that are paper thin, mm, that's what Michael Bay's looking for. It's funny that you say that because um, Michael Bay considers this movie his worst. He claims hmm. that it took him, that the studio put a lot of pressure on him to finish the movie. Um, it took him 16 weeks to finish the movie. Yeah. He basically said that if he was to do it over again, that he would redo the third act. 
So it's funny that you say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, these problems plague Michael Bay throughout his career. So many of his movies are poorly written garbage. The Rock didn't even have a screenplay. I like The Rock. Yeah, they were writing that as they went along, like yeah. figuring shit out. Like the James Bond thing that came along, I think, fairly late in production, where they were like, oh, well, he's a spy. Why don't we make him James Bond? You know, so it's a fun little reference in the movie, even though it's not said. You know, Sean Connery's clearly playing a James Bond who got caught. Armageddon had nine writers. That's right. It took nine people to put that thing together. Uh, lots of ideas stuffed together. The, the main writer you would know of would be J.J. Uh, Abrams. Yeah. A Abrams was a, a well-known script doctor at the time, an up-and-coming writer. Um, obviously, he's done a lot of big stuff since then. I'm sure this isn't a screenplay he talks about a lot. <laughs> Something he puts up there. Uh, because this movie is, for lack of a better term, a dumb, a very dumb film. And I, I mean, it, <laughs> it might be one of the dumbest blockbusters I've ever seen, as a matter of fact. But that doesn't mean the movie isn't entertaining. Because it, it very much is. This is typical Michael Bay. The camera is always moving. Always moving. Um, there's a couple nice moments in the story, like things that characters talk about pay off, like Billy Bob Thornton. You know, it's like, I wanted to get that patch and go up there and fly. And, you know, he brings it back to him. You know, that's a neat little moment, I guess. But th that's really all the screenplay has to offer. Much like Deep Impact, this movie is sort of held together by good performances. Yeah. And that's about it. And I think your good performers are Billy Bob Thornton, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a, a year or a year or two. Uh, yeah, pardon me. A year or two removed from Sling Blade. Uh, Peter Stormare, uh, a couple years coming off Fargo. Uh, Steve Buscemi coming off every independent movie in the early 90s. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. From Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino flicks. He had a lot of credibility coming in at that point. Uh, and I think Liv Tyler does a pretty nice job as well. There's not a lot for her character to really do, but I think she does a nice job with what's there. She has to act while shouting. Yeah, she I does. Mean, come on. Everybody is shouting in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, this is like the old Brick Tamlin joke. Loud noises! <laughs> That's so crazy. I mean, it really is. Everyone is yelling at each other like, That's my father up there! We're out of time. You know, there's only like, <laughs> I feel it's like a, a bad video game late in the movie. People are just sort of saying these stock lines in the background as Michael Bay whips the camera back and forth from spot to spot. Tim Robbins, Tom Hanks, Robert De Niro, and Michael Keaton were all considered for uh, Dan Truman, which is Billy Bob Thornton's character. Oh, okay. I was, I was like, who the hell is Dan Truman? Because um, Stanton is the name of, of Bruce Willis's character. I think um, Very, yeah. I think Billy Bob Thornton does a, a pretty fine job. I, I really I think do. He does too. Yeah, I mean, without him, I mean, you don't have nobody. You don't have anybody to ground the movie in any way, shape, or form. He gives it just a, a little something to sink your teeth into. Now, for Grace, you had uh, Mila Jovovich, Robin Wright, and Denise Richards were all tapped to be Grace. In fact, Liv Tyler turned down the role twice. Oh, really? Yeah, until she finally. Relented. Now, now, did her dad convince her to do it? She's like, if you sign on to this, we're going to get a big song out of this movie. I'm sure her father had something to do with the decision. <laughs> yeah. He's like, do you think he walked up and said, he said, honey, did you ever want me to serenade you during a sex scene? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> because I'm going to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, okay, so l let's get into Armageddon. Yeah. We have so Bruce Willis. Pop it and lock it who kind of has an accent a little bit. He's a little more salt of the earth here than he normally is. Yeah, Bruce Willis uh, did not care for Michael Bay's directing style. Yeah, he never works with Michael Bay again. He, he, he promised himself he would never work with Yeah, he Michael never works. Bay. And let's, I understand Mr. Willis is on some hard times. He's sick now, and he's retired. But he was not known for being easy to work with kind of guy. Yeah. That wasn't Bruce Willis's reputation. Even though Bruce Willis was smart enough to be able to take a smaller part in some movies. Matter of fact, it really saves his career with Pulp Fiction. Um, and Nobody's Fool, he did a couple years earlier. And that really helped out his career a ton, you know, brought him back. After failures like Hudson Hawk and things like that. You know, Bruce Willis isn't fantastic here. I mean, he doesn't suck. He's been in a lot worse movies than this. Hudson Hawk, I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. If it's not for the supporting cast... There, there really isn't anything here, acting-wise, that you, you really can sort of mention. Because Ben Affleck has a big part. He's there. <laughs> you know, that's about it. Ben Affleck hasn't really figured out acting yet. You know, he hasn't, he's not that kind of actor he would be in a few years. So this movie can be a little rough for him. And, it, man, it really shows in, the, in, in most of these scenes. 
I think one of the other elements that I think is, is also pretty tough is that, you know, those two actors, Willis and Affleck, they have to carry a lot of the story. They really do. And I think Affleck's natural comedic charm helps out a lot. Yeah. It, it, it does, you know, um, and this is something Michael Bay does. You know, I just went over the cast list. You know, he watches a lot of independent movies. Despite the kind of director Michael Bay is, you know, he does love quieter independent film and things like that. He, he does watch a lot of those movies. So that's why he was able to get such a fantastic cast. You know, he'd seen Ben Affleck coming up in movies uh, from Kevin Smith and things like that, Stormare and in Fargo. Like, he knew where to find, you know, talented actors to populate these movies that he probably knew didn't have the best script. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it is one of those elements that really does help. Now, what doesn't help is the movie's sort of tone. <laughs> Everything is, yeah. is, is, is kind of jokey unless we have the love story come up. And another problematic film for Michael Bay, when he says his worst movie, I thought he would have said uh, Pearl Harbor. No, he considers this one. Yeah, because this movie and Pearl Harbor are very similar. The difference is Pearl Harbor is based off of one of the most famous events in American history, something that did occur. Yeah. So for him to put his Michael Bayisms on it is, I don't want to say like sacrilegious. Tacky. Yeah, that's a better term, tacky. To do those things in a movie where a rock the size of Texas is coming at us? Yeah, sure, whatever. Go nuts. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not that big a deal. And in this movie, you have that love story and it's shoved down our throat. Like the movie just comes to a complete halt. So Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck can have a, a couple of, you know, scenes where they talk sweetly to each other, basically. There is the animal cracker sequence, which is the one where she is serenaded by her father. <laughs> the love version of I don't want to miss a thing. And the sequence is just stupid. I remember in the theater as a kid, like, do you think anybody's having this exact same conversation at this moment? Oh and I remember God. thinking, like, no. <laughs> Why the hell would anybody be doing jokes about animal crackers in this moment in time? It's, <laughs> but that's the movie. This is the level of intelligence you're going to find inside of Armageddon. There is none to be spoken of. You have a movie where we have a nuclear bomb, which no one is ever meant to see, Yet they still took the time to build an incredibly large LED timer on the front of it so we can have an entire sequence later on where everybody wastes time when we have no time yeah. trying to defuse a bomb. This movie is completely stupid and off the wall, yet over time, I've really grown to appreciate this roller coaster of a movie. It's so stupid. I mean, why would you, tr in fact, <laughs> Why would you train <laughs> drillers to be astronauts when you could just train astronauts to be drillers? This is one of in my In fact, Ben Affleck yeah. said this yeah. to Michael Bay and Michael Bay told him to shut the fuck up. Yeah, that is that is a <laughs> quote. And by the way, this isn't a quote from an interview. This is off the Criterion commentary track for this movie. Yes, by the way, Armageddon did have a Criterion edition. Yeah, it did. Um he uh, he made this comment, and I think also when <laughs> Bruce Willis' character, Harry, talks about those astronauts don't know jack about drilling. He does that line, Ben Affleck comes in with like, that's kind of stretching credibility a bit, <laughs> don't you think? It seems like it'd be a lot easier to teach an astronaut anything about drilling yeah. as opposed to telling a normal person Ridiculous. how to combat space travel. Like I said, it's a dumb movie, even though it does spend a lot of time trying to get you to believe its core concept, which is to its detriment. Like I said, this movie is just just a mess. But well, go ahead. I, I see you want to say something, so go ahead. Yeah, no. In fact, <laughs> uh, NASA NASA shows this movie during their management training program to try to spot as many errors as they can. You know how many? Oh, errors I can imagine. They found? Tell me. One hundred sixty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> now, no. Does the real NASA facility have that many clocks, and is it that dark in there? Yeah, actually, they f they filmed a, a lot. They they filmed this on a real oil rig. Oh, did they? Yeah. That makes $400 million sense. $400 oil rig. They also um, filmed it on a real space shuttle. Okay. Well, that makes sense, too. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. They, NASA let them use a lot of the, a lot of the equipment there and okay. a lot of the rooms and stuff that they had. Now, they, they did not film on a real asteroid, though, is what you're telling me. They did not film on a they, real so asteroid. So this is not a documentary? No. This did not occur? It's not a documentary. Oh, okay. Just making sure. This did not occur. But I thought, I think it's interesting that they did take the time to film it on... Well, that's the benefit. Real stuff. That's, that's the benefit the cost of, have, in there. Yeah, of having that money. Yeah, yeah you can do things like that. Million. Yeah, and, and the movie still looks pretty solid today for the most part. There's a few effects that don't really hold up. 
Um, and of course, the movie is two hours and 38 minutes, I think, 31 minutes. Yeah. It's very long, long. Very long. And honestly, at that point, you guys have probably seen a lot of Michael Bay movies. It can be pretty tiring. Like you're just sort of like exhausted from the camera moving so much and all those quick shots. But I do want to talk about one sequence, the mirror sequence. Uh, when they dock with the space station, they pick up Peter Stormare and they try to refuel. Now, granted, it is the laziest of screenwriting things that just a random pipe starts leaking that put, puts them in danger. Yeah. But Michael Bay filming the whole sequence handheld, running right behind Ben Affleck and all the characters as they run through the space station is fantastic. Yeah, that scene actually forced Ben Affleck to not do his own stunts. Oh, really? Yeah, because you yeah, have to get there fast. Yeah. You know, he's in that pit. Yeah. And he's climbing up the ladder. Mm-hmm. You have that whole sequence. Yeah. You see that fireball coming right across his head. Yeah. That actually happened. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it scared the crap out of Ben Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. So he decided. Scaring he, me now. <laughs> he decided not to uh, do his own stunts through, through the rest of the movie, even though Michael Bay did goad him into more stunts. Yeah, Michael Bay does that, from what I understand. That scene is is really fantastic. You should put that it in really a time is. capsule. It, it's great action. It's tense. And I, I wish Michael Bay would do more things like that. One, like one day, like someone's got to sit down and write a script that caters to all the things Michael Bay does really, really well. Even though I will say Ambulance is kind of close. But someone really needs to do that for Michael Bay so he can get those things out there. Yeah. Because I think that's the one thing that holds him back, like I said, his, his love of bad scripts. Um, I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rough. It's, it really is. Trust me. I mean, I, I've seen The Island. I've seen all of Michael Bay's work. You know, I, I like Pain and Gain, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's not his typical style movie. What do you think about Steve Buscemi's whole weird pedophile jokes? Yeah, this is a holdover from the 90s when, like, pedophile jokes were really in fashion and in season. He has three really early on. Yeah, it's like prevalent throughout the whole movie. And I want to remind you, these got big laughs in a theater in 1998. Big laughs. So, I mean, this was just typical for the time. That part didn't really age well. But, yeah, it is a joke they come back to more more than once. Yeah, in fact, um, he he was when Steve Buscemi signed on for this role, he was pitched as a, the character was going to be a uh, heroic geologist. That's not where it ended up. <laughs> And That's it wasn't it until they he accepted the role and started shooting where they started adding weird stuff to his character. Yeah. yeah. They, they, Sleaziness. They, they bushemmied it up, if you will. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's, he's known for playing a bit of a, a sleazy characters. And, and listen, Buscemi does a really nice job. It's not a great part by any means. Um, Owen Wilson's in a real thankless role. You know, another guy he saw independent films like Bottle Rocket and had to throw in a big budget movie. I'm trying to think who's the second in command to, is it Patton? Is that who that actor is? Will Patton? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. He he does a pretty nice job. <laughs> he has a lot of tough lines to deliver. What are you doing with a gun in space? Like things like that. Those yeah. are those are really difficult lines. He uh he has a child that he would like to reconnect with. That's his storyline that gets kind of shoved in there. There's a lot of those little like let's shove a little thing in there for each character, you know, that bloats the runtime. It's just one of those movies where it's just like there's all this thrown in there. There's it, a lot of bloat in this movie. Yeah, it doesn't really all come together, but you know, you want to strap yourself in for the ride of Armageddon at least once. This is some classic Michael Bay action, and I, I recommend it highly, in all honesty. You really should check it out if you consider yourself a fan of action cinema. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I I don't like the movie. I never have liked the movie. Um, but you know, between Deep Impact and Armageddon, I'm going to pick Armageddon all, every day. So the last thing I want to say about this movie is this movie, they, Michael Bay shot over a million feet of Kodak film. So when you do that for Kodak, they send you a six bottles of Corbell champagne. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't know why six. I, I couldn't tell you why either, but I do know this This happens every now and then. A, a lot of movies don't do this. Michael Bay shoots a lot of footage, obviously. But one of the movies I can think of where it occurred, <laughs> and it, it's a little bit different than this movie, is uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> because that movie's a lot of improv. Mm-hmm. I know um, Judd Apatow ended up with that same sort of thing. They send him a plaque as well. Yeah, I imagine they have to send him something. Yeah, it's sort of a big deal. And it, that's a, another element from a bygone era. Now nobody shoots film anymore except for your big older guys like Spielberg and Tarantino and Scorsese. But those, uh, those, those are long gone days of 
shooting celluloid for uh, that kind of time and that kind of length. But it is impressive. I'll give it that. So are you ready for the reviews? Yeah, yeah. Give me the one-star reviews. Okay, so Deep Impact, 4.1 a user review, 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.2 IMDb. Here is a one-star review. The biggest disaster in this film is not the comet. It's the terrible script. I do not care about these kids running around the eastern seaboard. I do not get pangs in my heart for these specific characters who are stiff and thin as cardboard, while thousands of people are also panicking and dying around them. The comet itself takes forever to get to Earth. Since it was seen striking the planet in the trailer, maybe don't take half the movie to get it there. And once it does, do something more interesting with this terrible situation. Couldn't agree. Yeah, th- th- this guy really hit it on the head. Um, there's nice elements in the script, but it, it, it's, not, it's not really there coming together at all. So as always, I like to bring to you the perspective of uh, the greatest critic that ever lived, Roger Ebert. And this time I'll bring to you the perspective of his buddy, uh, Gene Siskel. Siskel was always the critic who loved movies and big epics and Hollywood things like that. Those those big Hollywood epics are what he was all about. And he liked Deep Impact, and Roger Ebert uh, did not, basically. Uh, for Siskel, some things connected a bit more, but um, Ebert was really not about it at all. By himself, by the way, it was a, a split decision, thumbs up for Siskel and thumbs down for Ebert. But Ebert ended up giving the film uh, two and a half stars. And basically, his review is pretty simple. And it's kind of things that we mentioned right now. There is a lot going on in the movie, but it just doesn't really come together. Yeah. Like, that was his general consensus on this picture. Is it just a lot of talent involved? Just sometimes things don't always work out and, and come together in the way you'd like. This wasn't the the movie a lot of people thought it was going to be, especially with the advertising that it got. And that's one of those elements. I, I like the way... Um, Ebert sort of put it nicely with uh, uh, Deep Impact begins with the obligatory opening pre-catastrophe. In this case, a runaway semi that mows down a jeep and kills the astronomer who is bringing news of the approaching comet. See, he knew it was comet, (laughs) unlike me. Uh, The other movie I saw on the same day, The Horse Whisperer, also opened with a runaway semi. Indeed, I cannot recall a single movie in which a semi on a two-lane road did not careen out of control. (laughs) (laughs) These are the things that I I love Ebert for, because you don't realize you're you're getting smacked in the face by a cliche until somebody points it out like that. But yes, anytime there is a truck like that, something horrible happens. Like I said, it's just not that interesting to script, in all honesty. And that's, that's that's the shame of it. So, you know, it is what it is for Deep Impact. Okay, so for Armageddon, we have a 4.2 user review. It's a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes and 6.7 on IMDb. And here's the old one star. Michael Bay, the worst filmmaker of all time. He's like Ed Wood with lots of money to finance films. I hate the action and romance in this movie. And considering that's all this movie is about, I hated the whole movie. (laughs) If you are an ignorant moron that either has brain damage and never seen stupid cliches exhibited in this crappy movie, then you will disagree with me. Man, I hate... Ben Affleck, what a loser. I bet he wishes he could be Matt Damon's sidekick in the next Bourne movie. That better be 10 lines. I can't write much more about this crappy, terrible, horrible, ridiculous, stupid, inane, cliche, ugly, dumb, futile, asinine, absurd movie. Well put. (laughs) Uh, People did hate Ben Affleck at one point. They really did. I think people have cooled on that, but Ben Affleck was really one of the most hated people in Hollywood at one point. So, uh, going back to my main man, Roger Ebert and Siskel, uh, you would not believe it, but they split again. And Siskel liked, let <laughs> me sorry, he liked Armageddon. And Roger Ebert was almost furious at him for liking the movie. He, um, he was almost disappointed. And Siskel summed it up really nicely this movie is dumb, it's loud, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but he enjoyed the ride. And that's one of the things like Siskel is always about. Like if a movie can be fun, then it's a thumbs up. And Ebert did not feel the same way. This would be one of his worst films of 1998. Here it is at last. The first 150 minute trailer. Armageddon is cut together like its own highlights. Take almost any 30 seconds at random and you'd have a TV ad. The movie is an assault on the eyes, the ears, the brain, common sense, and the human desire to be entertained. No matter what they're charging to get in, it's worth more to get out. Oof. Roger Ebert 
hated this movie. He, I he mean, he disliked it more than I did. Oh yeah, I mean, he absolutely hated this film. And you know, he liked The Rock, so it wasn't that he didn't like Michael Bay. He just thought this was the dumbest movie of the year. And he did like Deep Impact better. He even mentions that, but not by much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these these. At the time, these were both considered to be films that were written off and no one would really remember them. We didn't know Michael Bay was going to become, you know, a, a top-tier director and end up doing big action movies pretty much for the entirety of his career. You know, if anything, people thought that Deep Impact would age better. And honestly, nobody talks about Deep Impact other than Morgan Freeman as a black president is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that that's really the movie's only legacy at this point is that. Well, all right. I yeah. think we've... Uh exhausted this whole topic i i I really do and and like i said we're we're gonna every every 10 episodes we're gonna try to take a look at something that's a little bit interesting a little bit out of our wheelhouse yeah you know not just uh do a reboot every time and and, you know maybe we'll take a look at you know dante's peak and volcano or um any other movie that's like this now i can't think of any other movie (laughs) any other copycat film yeah i know it's the other one i just mentioned i didn't want to say why earth and tombstone this means I'll have to watch Wyatt Earp again, which I promised myself I would never do. Stupid show. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> We're going to be coming up on October pretty soon. And we will be doing uh, horror movies throughout the entire month of October. Uh, we have the Hellraiser remake uh, coming up pretty soon. Uh, look for The Invisible Man in coming weeks mm-hmm. as well. And if you guys ever have any suggestions, feel free. Absolutely free to hit us up. At grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll that, do what you we'll do whatever you want. We take requests. We're like a jukebox. We're okay in yeah. that in that way. Um, also you can reach out at gritty reboot at Instagram and TikTok. I'm on both of those a lot, so it's very easy to get a hold of me there. Uh send me a DM. Uh no nudes, please. So I, I would, you know, I appreciate that. Anybody get back to us and let us know any feedback or anything else that you would like us to know. Uh, any mistakes? I'm always happy to have my mistakes pointed out to me. I really enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, where would we be without people pointing out mistakes? Yeah, that's right. What do you think? I'm going to do good research? <laughs> Come on, I don't get paid for this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Armageddon. That's Deep Impact. Uh, only check one out. And uh, everyone bow down to Michael Bay, the greatest director who ever lived. Oh, that's a He's sign a half. His mind. That's a sign a half. All right, guys, uh, that is it. I have space dementia, and I am out. Bye, guys.